the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, church questions, stuff going on in your life, questions, whatever's on your heart. All you need to do is pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you live outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, we would ask, I would ask for your prayers. This is our Women's Retreat Week. Um, For future programming reference, we will not have a live broadcast on Thursday. That's the date day show because my date is ditching me. She's going to be at the retreat. So uh, please keep them in your prayers. We would appreciate it very, very much. Um, I'm sure the Lord is going to meet with them and we're excited about it. So uh, that that's a personal favor to me. Keep our ladies in your prayers. We're excited about what God is going to do. Okay, let's get to some questions that have been sent in while we await any phone calls uh, today. This first one is from Grace K. She says, and this is a little bit long, but I think it's really an important question uh, or comment. Uh, Pastor Ron, I was raised Catholic, and most of my family is still Catholic, but I left that religion many years ago as it was not filling my soul. I've dipped my toes in many religions and spiritual practices through the past three decades. Last year, I joined and have been very active in a wonderful Christian church. I feel as if I had found my home. I have a friend who is also my Bible study, or who is also in my Bible study group, who I have a close friendship with. But anytime I bring up someone who is Catholic or anything regarding Catholicism, he shows intense hatred and contempt for Catholicism. 
He even told me to burn a rosary given to me by my late father. I adored my father, and he was a very humble, kind, loving, and giving man. He was very quiet in his faith. This hatred is very negatively affecting my relationship with this person. I have said to him, what would Jesus do? Jesus loved and accepted all. As Christians, we should love all and have compassion and tolerance. Now, I'm going to get back to that, Grace. That's very important. You said compassion and tolerance. Everyone has their own spiritual walk. And if all I can do is lead by example with love, tolerance, kindness, and compassion. He quotes scripture proving where Catholicism is wrong. And he can dance circles around with scripture as he's been studying the word for four decades. Hence, he feels he is right or justified in his hatred since I cannot prove him wrong with scripture. Help, I do not want to lose this friendship. He is also the one that introduced me to your show. Thank you for sharing the word in such a wonderful way each day. There's so much here, and because we live in a Catholic city, I want to address this from several perspectives. First, um, let me just say that, that anybody filled with intense hatred for anybody or any group of people ought not to be teaching a Bible study or uh, ought not to be sharing at all. Uh, it's, it's real simple. 1 Corinthians 13 says, you know, you can have all kinds of information, you can do miracles, you can have all kinds of power. But if you have not love, you're just making noise. And I think it's really important that we understand that, that the noisemakers offend God. Now, I realize that a lot of these people, Grace, are people uh, who are born again. They're real believers. But we get into this place where we've got to win the argument or we've got to win the debate. And that really isn't something that we can do uh, from a position of love at all. Uh, what we got to do is look at the people that we're ministering to or the people that we disagree with, and we've got to bring them into a place where they know they're, they're given the opportunity to forgive, they're given the opportunity to extend grace. That's very, very important. Now, I'm just going to make a guess here, Grace, but it sounds to me, because we run into this a lot, uh, like perhaps this man is an ex-Catholic. Um, uh, some of the most uh, opposed people I've ever run into are ex-Catholics because they find out they were getting ripped off. That's important to understand. There's always a reason people react the way they do. So that's important. Now, the lack of love, there's no excuse for. The hatred, the intense, that is nothing but sin. So pray for this man. And it may be that your friendship has to um, um, take a back seat for a while, uh, while while you pray for him and Lord works on him. I think that's really important. Uh, the fact that he told you to burn a gift from your father is well, well, well beyond any authority that he has in your life as a friend and certainly uh, is uh, no business. Now, I want to address some of the things that you said as well. When you talk about um, being tolerant with people, I want you to understand that Catholics are not Christians. They think they are, but Jesus said, except a man, in your case, a woman, would be born again, he or she will not inherit the kingdom of God. He said that twice to a very religious man. And so there are born-again Catholics. Now, there aren't a lot of them because the Catholic Church doesn't teach that you need to be born again. 
And so when we are witnessing to Catholics or when we're talking to Catholics, it is our responsibility to point out that what they believe is wrong. When you said that everybody has their own spiritual walk uh, and God is tolerant, God, Jesus Christ was the most intolerant person ever. He's the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He's the one, as I mentioned a moment ago, that told Nicodemus, the religious man, the teacher of Israel, that you must be born again or you won't go to heaven. And so we have a responsibility to tell people that. Now, Catholics are a little bit more difficult to deal with than, say, other uh, religions or, or in, some case, in some cases, cults, uh, because uh, the, uh, the they've got what they need, the basics. They've got the same Father, the same Son, and the same Holy Spirit. But the Bible says if you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. That's First John. And the only way to have the Son is to repent of your sins and be born again. Catholic doctrine is aberrant doctrine. Again, I want to emphasize grace. It doesn't mean that there aren't some saved Catholics. God is a remnant everywhere. But by and large, religion is not a spiritual walk. Religion is a way to walk away from a relationship with Jesus Christ. So um, as Christians, yes, we should love all. We should have compassion on all, trying to understand why they are the way they are. But we can't be tolerant of somebody who doesn't have a religion that's going to send them into heaven. That's, that's how important it is. Uh, you're, you're right, you can lead by example, but we also need to lead with truth. And we need to do that. We need to do that because that's one of the ways that we demonstrate that we really love people. So if you're asking for advice how to deal with this friend, it'd be simple. I would tell him, you know what, you've been a blessing in my life, but... I can't hear anything from you anymore because of the hatred that you have for Catholics. Jesus loves Catholics. Jesus died for Catholics. Jesus wants Catholics to get saved. It is God's kindness that leads to repentance. And as long as you harbor this resentment, as long as you're going to be on this crusade to get me to hate Catholics the way you hate Catholics, that's not going to happen uh, because Jesus loves people. I need to look at Catholics as the object of my ministry, not the enemy of my ministry. And it's very important. Now, when you said that he quotes scripture proving where Catholicism is wrong, Catholicism is wrong. I want to say it as clearly as I can for your benefit, Grace. Catholicism is aberrant doctrinally. And a church that teaches that you can work your way to heaven, or a church that teaches that you have to be a member of the Catholic Church to truly be saved, a church that teaches that we can pray to saints, uh, that we can pray a rosary, or that we can have any other uh, uh, access to God other than the person of Jesus Christ. We need to correct that doctrine. And then we need to let people make the choice. I can tell you that God hates religion. Religion is man trying to work his way to God. Jesus reached down to us, Grace. Now, I'm going to ask you one other thing, Grace, for you to consider, and I'm sure the answer to this question is yes, but I would ask you, are you born again? You talk about uh, finding a, a, a wonderful Christian church, 
Uh, you feel as if you've found my home, but have you surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ? Have you repented from sin? Have you simply said, Lord, I want to live my life for you. Come into my heart, and I offer my body, Paul says, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. That's what it means to be born again. And I think once that's settled, and if, you, if you're born again, God bless you, and I'm thrilled. Um, but if you're not, then I think what you're going to do is develop a sense of, uh, you know, we can't really in these last days be tolerant with people who have aberrant beliefs. Our church, if I were to ask a question at the beginning of a study, Grace, if I said, okay, how many of you come from Catholic backgrounds? Uh, 90% of the people here at Calvary Chapel would raise their hand. And they come to hear the truth. Jesus said the truth will set you free. But it means necessarily that we have to divest ourselves of those Catholic traditions, those religious practices, and, and understand that the only thing Jesus wants from any of us is our hearts. And once we allow him to be in our heart and take control of our heart, well, Grace, that's when everything changes. So I'm thrilled that you found a church home. Uh, I'm assuming that you're a born-again Christian. Um, Hebrews says to throw up everything that hinders, and if this man is stumbling you because of his intense hatred, um, then just tell him. I'm no longer to be able to spend time with you. Because your intense hatred for any group of people is putting me off. Grace Hall, I'm going to end this by saying I'm, I'm starting this Sunday in the book of First John. Uh, all of our stuff is free. You can watch it live stream or you can get it later uh, at the website calvaryessay.com. And I have been reading it over and over and over. It's five chapters. I've been reading it for now probably two months. Um, not every day, but nearly every day. And and one of the things that, that is just overwhelming to me is the sense of how desperate John is in writing First John uh, in, in just making sure that, that our hearts are full of Jesus Christ, that we understand that he loves us, and then that we understand what our responsibility is because of that love for us. And uh, I'm going to really enjoy teaching. It's not going to be easy, but I'm going to really enjoy teaching um, this book. So, Grace, if we can help you beyond that, God bless you, and uh, I'll be praying for you. I've got two people holding, so please be patient with me. David from San Antonio on line one. David, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. is David. Uh, Hi, David. First off, I was one of those Catholics who when I when I got saved, wanted to light the uh, Catholic Church on fire, not the people church, but the the whole business of hierarchy and, and uh, things you got to do. But uh, you know that's gone away. I, I do know some Catholics who are, are born again. There's no doubt in my mind. Uh, I wish they would find something that was more uh, suited to what they should be learning. Uh, secondly, I wanted to say. If I wake up late, I listen to you in the morning, and that brings up what is kind of tied to even what you just said, and and that's the uh, you were talking about the parable of the sower, 
or you know of your heart really mm-hmm. and uh basically you came down and said okay he's saying 50 percent no 30 percent no probably 25 percent less people who are sitting even in calvary chapel are born again they think they are but uh you know it's you got to be well that's what you said and that really struck a chord with me and and reminded me where i was earlier just a few years back uh and how much you know it's kind of like an alarm clock i need to get back to just really exuding what what he's got in me instead Mm -hmm. of holding it in and holding it to myself but uh, i just want you to know you really that that was just a great message you know early in the morning so thank, thank you, you, and God bless you, and thank you for understanding something that you and I had a conversation about, a, I don't know, about a week or two ago. So thank you, sir, and I yeah. love you all. Oh, God bless you, Bye. David. Thanks very, very much. Oh, my goodness. I miss David. Uh, let's go to Phyllis on line two. Phyllis, thank you for holding. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Phyllis. Hi. You said that... Um, you believe that there are born-again Catholics. But I, I I guess because I come from a Catholic family, and my family is still Catholic, I guess when I think of being born again, that you put away all those types of traditions, like, like it's lit season now, uh, mm-hmm. eating fish only on Friday, or having uh, or Ash Wednesday putting the ash on your head or uh, doing the stations of the cross and, and things like that. Those are, are works, you know, as opposed to a relationship. So I just can't get past the idea that if they really are born again or praying to Mary, you know, they still attend Catholic Church, they still do the genuflect and they still... Um, bless themselves with the holy water or whenever they pass a Catholic church they do the sign of the cross all, mm-hmm. all of those things if in fact they are born again you know I guess I, I look at the Bible when it says if any man be in Christ he is a new creation shouldn't all of those things cease Phyllis that's a, a, a billion dollar question so thank you for bringing it up and I think it also ties into what David just said as well now I, let me let me say this I am fully aware that that what I am saying and what I'm about to say in response to this makes a bunch of people angry we want to believe that everybody who says they're a Christian they really are but David talking about the parable of the sower if we take that literally and I don't think it was intended that way uh, but th- the best we can hope for is 50% of the people who say they're born again to be really born again. That's that's important. The other thing that we, we need to talk about with, with the Catholic, when, when again, we know that God has his people everywhere. He always has a remnant, and I think the idea of a remnant, by definition, is a very small number of the whole. So there is always a remnant. Now, for me personally, Phyllis, I agree with you. I can't, for the life of me, understand how anybody who has been f- filled with the Holy Spirit can remain in a Catholic church doing things in ways that stand in stark opposition to the Word of God. You mentioned praying to Mary. There's one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. 
and the idea that we can pray to Mary and, um, you know, praying to somebody is really worshiping them. Catholic will say, no, we don't worship Mary. We venerate her. That's not the truth. The truth is that by virtue of praying to somebody, we're putting them in a position where we're worshiping them. And we can use human logic. Well, that's his mother, and a boy always does what his mother wants him to do. Um, That's just silliness. And so I agree with you, Phyllis, that once you're born again, your eyes are opened, then um, all those old traditions, those useless religious practices and exercises ought to go away. And even as I say that, I want to repeat that there still will be a remnant Um, Catholics who uh, believe that Jesus Christ died for their sins, that he is the Son of God and God the Son, Catholics who um, don't pray to Mary, Catholics who don't pray the rosary, Catholics who don't feel like they need an ash on their forehead to to advertise uh, their their religiosity. Um, But Catholics that just want to be with the Lord. Phyllis, I can tell you that uh, I played in a golf tournament. I used to play a lot of golf. and I was playing in a senior golf tournament. And uh, one of the guys that I was paired with in the group, um, where, you know, at the first tee, everybody checks their golf balls to make sure that we're not playing the same golf ball the same number. And uh, on, on his golf ball, his name was Ray. On his golf ball, he had the, the fish symbol, the Christian symbol. And I said, praise the Lord, you're a brother in the Lord. And, and he said, he said, well, I sure am. And, and then he, he went on to say that he's a part of this Catholic church. And, uh, and, and, you know, I heard that guy for 18 holes of golf talk about nothing but Jesus. He loved God with all of his heart. And I asked him, I said, okay, you, you, you're clearly born again. You love the Lord. Why are you still there? And he said, you know, tradition is hard to buck. And I feel like as long as I'm there, then there is at least a little bit of light there. Now, did God call him to be there? I, I, I would argue that's not the case. But, but you see, it doesn't matter what I would argue. When he goes to heaven, he's going to meet Jesus Christ, and Jesus is going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So, um, again, by definition, and I, maybe I misunderstood you, Phyllis, but I don't think I said half of the Catholics. Uh, I don't think the number of Catholics are even close to to half um, who are really saved because religion and religious practices uh, don't have any value in saving us. What saves us is the blood of Jesus Christ, his spirit being deposited in us, and a life that is surrendered to Jesus Christ. So that's, I'm with you, Phyllis, 100%. Let's go to Caesar on line one. Caesar, thank you for your patience you've been holding. You're on the air. Yes, hi. Um, I'm just calling because I kind of wanted to like add my little two cents to the whole Catholic talk and discussion. And um, I, I just feel as if, It's like us Protestants put a lot of uh, emphasis on being born again. And I know like the Eastern Orthodox and the Catholics, they don't really put too much emphasis on it. And I do know that that Romans 10.9 says that if you believe with your mouth, that you you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I I know a lot of Catholics that that, that do profess these things and do truly believe that God raised him from the dead. And and also, it's, it's like... I know that First Corinthians twelve three says that you know no one can say that Jesus is Lord except through the Holy Spirit, and I know Catholics and they have the Holy Spirit in them. 
um, even the ones that pray the rosary, that do all these other things. And I'm just kind of conflicted on this. Uh, I, 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 I admire all the things you do, but I, I do got to say that I strongly disagree with you uh, with the whole you have to be born again for, for Catholics to get saved. Well, um, so she's... Yeah, Caesar. Here's the problem. You're not. It's not. You're not disagreeing with me. You're disagreeing with Jesus. He said himself to the most religious man in Israel, "You must be born again." Now, when when you say nobody can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, uh, we can all say the words. Satanists can say the words. But what the idea is there, that you can't say that with meaning, you can't say that with genuine sincerity, uh, except that the Holy Spirit, Peter, uh, was told by Jesus, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. But you've got to have the right Jesus. He also told us that when the Spirit comes, he will lead you into truth. And by definition, Caesar, that means that people who are practicing um, a form of religion that is untrue, and untrue means inconsistent or incompatible with the word, um, then they're not with them. Jesus himself said on the day when we stand before the Lord, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. And and if if you, there's no way to get around what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter three, you must be born again. And Nicodemus even asked him, "Well, how can a man go into his mother's womb a second time?" And Jesus rebuked him and corrected him. So um, no person of any religion, and you're right about the Orthodox religions, they also um, don't even talk about being born again. They believe that infant baptism uh, handles the problem of original sin, which is certainly in contradistinction to the word. Um, Nobody who is not born again has the Spirit of God in them. Nobody. The only way to receive the Spirit of God is to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Except a man be born again, he will not inherit the kingdom of God. John chapter 3, first seven verses, he says it twice. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. To the second half of our program, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Before we move on with some other questions, I want to thank Caesar for his uh, courtesy. Um, um, I have no problem with people disagreeing with me, but here's part of the problem that we deal with with Catholics. I also want to make it clear, uh, because I'll get emails. You don't need to email me about Catholic bashing. Um, uh, Nothing could be farther from the truth. I want Catholics to walk in the freedom of the truth. That's what Jesus said about the truth that will set us free. I want everybody to be uh, free from religious practices. And most importantly, I want people to be able to think there is an objective truth. 
And that's the Bible. Now, one of the major differences between um, a, a Christian church that holds to the essentials of the historic Christian faith and the Catholic Church is the basis of our authority. And Caesar, and for everybody else out there, I really want you to hear my heart here. The source of authority in your life is going to determine what you believe. If that authority is the church or the traditions of the church, then you're going to find yourself lacking. That's why we have to decide that the final arbiter of truth is the Word of God, the Bible. There's always been churches that taught the truth. There's always been churches that taught the false doctrine. It's our job as Christians to discern the difference. And that's why we need to know the Bible. When Caesar said, uh, I just don't think you have to be born again, and that's my paraphrase, it was exactly what he said, um, the argument is with the Lord himself. He's the one who said it. And if the Bible is not the final voice of authority, then you're going to be swayed by church traditions, religious traditions. And uh, i got to tell you, Jesus was pretty clear about the need to be born again. And as a, a person who wants everybody to be saved, I know that's not going to happen, but it's what I want with all of my heart then what I want to do and what I'm responsible to do is to deliver the truth. Now, not all Christian churches agree in doctrine, but we do agree. Genuine Christian churches agree in the essentials of the historic Christian faith. And I could go, I could spend the next half hour talking about all of the ways that Catholic doctrine is aberrant and in contradistinction to what the Bible says. But find out for yourself. If what the Catholic Church is telling you is true, you ought to be able to find in the Bible that that's true. But the Bible speaks for itself. It speaks loud and clear. So um, I'm always going to be misunderstood when I do this. But remember, I'm only answering questions and I'm obligated to tell the truth. Thank you very, very much. Okay, let's go to a question on another subject. This is from Juan. He says, how can we love people that are not lovable? It's hard, Juan, but we do it. Uh, Romans 5.5 5 says that the love of God has been poured out or shed abroad, the King James says, into our hearts by the Holy Spirit that he's given us. So what we need to do is love them with God's love. I, I said yesterday we had a, a question uh, about this. And my response was, um, um, God doesn't want us to love anybody with our love. Our love is selfish. Our love is inadequate. You know, First Corinthians 13 says, love keeps no record of wrongs. Well, our love always keeps a record of wrongs. So what we have to do is have enough faith to make a, a love withdrawal. When you see somebody that is really hard to like, then you've got to remember that Jesus loves them. Jesus, I'm your ambassador. I'm your representative. So I've got to love them for you here on earth. Now, that does not mean one, and I hope this doesn't confuse you, but it doesn't mean we have to like people. Loving people means you, you love them enough to tell them the truth. You love them enough to be patient with them, to be understanding, to be compassionate, all those things. But, but it doesn't mean you have to like their lifestyle doesn't mean you have to like 
their attitude. So what you do is you just pray for people. And I've found, one that when I pray for people that are difficult to like, um, God changes my heart. And only God can do that. So that's what we do. Let me suggest to everybody, um, do your own personal Bible study. Read slowly. Read it five, six, seven times. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Because it gives you a gauge to measure the quality of your love toward the people in your life. Remember, you don't have to like people to love them. But if you don't love them, the Apostle John says in 1 John, boy, he's been hammering me with this as I've been reading over and over and over 1 John. Um, if you say you love God who you haven't seen, but you hate your brother who you have seen, then you're lying. The truth isn't in you. So, Juan, you've got to first make a decision that you're going to love them because Jesus does. doesn't matter what they do to you. doesn't matter how they treat you. Jesus loved you, one, and he loved me, one, when we were his enemy. Having said that, then we say, Lord, use me to win this person. And even if it's just through your prayers, God will change your heart for the difficult people in your lives. Here's a question from Tina. I mentioned this verse um, previously to uh, Caesar. Uh, Tina said, when Jesus had to depart from him, they responded by saying, we did miracles, we cast out demons, etc. And then her question is, how could they not be saved if they could do those things? Well, one of the things we have to remember when we're reading the gospel accounts, we need to remember the Jewish perspective on those accounts. There were Jewish exorcists. Now, these were religious leaders. Uh, we run into, in the book of Acts, the seven sons of Siva who were exorcists. They were casting out demons, and they tried to cast out a demon, and the demon just jumped on them and beat them up. They ran away bloody and naked. Um, Jews charged, uh, much like Catholic exorcists, they, they charged to uh, exorcise demons. It uh, doesn't mean they were successful. It just means that's what they did. They went through the religious motions. And um, and so a, a Jew would say, but, but I cast out demons. I served you. And Jesus will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. And that's the key. And for everybody from the previous half hour, everybody who who is born again, Jesus knows us. If he doesn't know us, then we're not his. And the only way he knows us is that we surrender our lives to him. And so when Jesus is talking to religious leaders who are Jewish, he's saying, you said demons come out. You said you did miracles. But remember, they accused Jesus of doing miracles by the power of the devil. But I never knew you. So depart from me, you doer of iniquity. Now, Tina, let me kind of culturalize that for us. Uh, in every church, every Sunday, there's a whole bunch of people who are living in willful sin. The music strikes up. We raise our hands and we sing praise to the Lord. We, we, we advertise that we're Christians. Uh, but we have no intention of changing the way we live. The man or the woman who says they're a Christian, they come and worship God, they attend church every week, but but they won't stop fornicating. 
Jesus will say to that person, I never knew you. Depart from me. But Lord, I went to Calvary Chapel. I was there every week. That doesn't matter. Calvary Chapel doesn't save you. What saves you is being born again. And and uh, the same thing could be true with drinking, could be true with drugs, could be true with holding on to unforgiveness, being hateful toward people, holding on to prejudice. Jesus will say, I don't know who you are. But, but Lord, I was at church all the time. Well, remember, church doesn't save. What saves is being born again. And... Um, Tina, these were people that were making counterfeit claims. They were doing things, trying to justify themselves. And that same practice goes on every day with people sitting in Christian churches. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Chuck. He says, Pastor Ron, is foot washing something we should be doing in churches today? Um, Chuck, not necessarily. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing it. Paul and I talked about this last Thursday on the Date Day Show. Uh, we have a foot washing ministry at the at the women's retreat, and it's very fruitful. And, and uh, boy, the Holy Spirit really uses it. So foot washing is a good thing to do. But remember, it's not washing the feet that really matters. It's just demonstrating the heart of God and the, the links that he went to to win us for his glory. So um, the, the idea of foot washing, when Jesus said, you also should do this, I've done this as an example for you to follow. Um, the, the broader application there, Chuck, is serving. He was serving. He was a servant. Though he was a king, he was a servant of those around him. And that's what he's telling the disciples who would be apostles. It's also what he's saying to us. We need to be foot washers. The foot washing job was done by the lowest ranked slave in a household. People would come in. It would be an act of hospitality. That lowly servant would grab a, a, a basin and some towels and wash feet. People wore sandals. Uh, their, their The streets were dirt. Um, and uh, to come into the house, uh, they would do that. Jesus said, Go out and be that lowest rank servant and minister my love to all. Thank you. I appreciate the question very much. Let's go to Jim on line one from San Antonio. Jim, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Thanks for having your program on to answer our questions. My pleasure. Um, I have a question about Second Samuel 12 and Nathan's rebuke of David. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I wonder if you could kind of maybe talk about the process of how David got there and maybe some applications for me, how to be aware, just kind of, you know, be on guard against the deterioration of my love for, for the Lord. Mm. So what Nathan said to him was that you despise the word of the Lord, but he also mm. says something even harsher. In verse 10 of Second Samuel 12, he says, now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you have despised me. That's Nathan speaking for God. Mm-hmm. You've taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite. But, you know, I, I just think of David, you know, on fire for the Lord when Goliath was blaspheming the God. And, and he just got up, you know, and he, he just he, he fought for him, for God's glory. And then, you know, years later, there he is, and he's despising the Lord. So there's that gradual deterioration of his heart. Can you look back and see what kind of things were like red flags? or How did he get there? And what could we do to avoid not 
deteriorate in our love as well. Yeah, Jim, I can. Thank you for the opportunity. You know, when David um, um, stared down Goliath, had that David um, remained in love with the Lord, even the David of the cave experiences when he was running from King Saul, uh, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. He longed for the temple of the Lord. And remember, in in, in the Jewish tradition, uh, the temple of the Lord is where the Ark of the Covenant was. The Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. And that's all David wanted. If that David showed up, um, he, he he never would have, have have fallen into sin with Bathsheba in the first place. And, and I think there's a couple of keys for us to remember. The first thing to remember is as God sent Nathan to him, David pronounced his own judgment. David, that little you lamb, you're the man, he said. And, and, uh, and God is being just. God is simply saying, uh, David, it was easy for you to see sin in my story. But now that I say you're the man, then why can't you see that sin in you? Now, clearly, what happened over a period of time, David began to take his relationship with God for granted. Now, David's heart was always right. His behavior wasn't right. Now, let me also say something else, Jim, because we look at these episodes from a purely New Testament perspective. David did not have the Holy Spirit that you and I have. You know, we've got the governor living in us. We've got the, the spirit of, of, of peace living in us, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of conviction. We've got him living in us. David didn't have that. So David would, would deal with these things in his flesh. And there were many things David did in his flesh that doesn't disqualify him from being a man after God's own heart. I personally believe that being a man after God's own heart is more focused on David being the best repenter in the Old Testament. And so um, uh, David's heart was in the right place, but like the Apostle Paul described in Romans 7, what he wanted to do, he didn't do. The things he didn't want to do, he found himself doing. And uh, he had to rebel. So how did he do it? I think power, comfort. We know that David um, um, accumulated wives, and he wasn't supposed to do that. Um, we know that David struggled with pride. Later, David will commit his worst sin, and that's taking a census of the fighting troops of Israel. But I think a little more close to home, this whole episode with Bathsheba begins with this line, at the time when kings went to war. And David stayed home. He sent his people to war. And the king would always go. It was the king's presence they needed in a war. It was the king's presence that gave the people confidence. We're going to win. God is with us. And David stayed home. He wasn't doing what a king should be doing. In other words, he was abdicating his duty. And in that moment, Satan caught him. And there was an opportunity for temptation. He took it he took advantage of this woman. Later, he killed her husband to try to cover his sin. Psalm 32, we have the description of what David was going through the whole time that he was trying to keep his sin covered. He said inside he was wasting away. And he fell. 
And he was set up. He was set up by his flesh. He was set up by not doing what kings are supposed to be doing. He was set up by the enemy. And when we get to Psalm 51, we even have some more insight. He said, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Now, Jim, this is really important for you and me because we're New Testament Christians and we want to stay in love with the Lord. Uh, I think I think we lose our joy. There's problems and difficulties that we face. And we get tired of fighting. And our joy just leaves. So if our joy leaves, it means our gratitude has gone. And when our gratitude goes, then we're going to drift away from that first love that we had. You know that Jesus in uh, in writing uh, to the church of Ephesus, uh, uh, I call it the Blue Blood Church in Revelation chapter 2, he told them all the good things they were doing, but then he said this, one thing I have against you, you've left your first love. And he reminds them to go remember that first love, the passion you had, the joy that you had, how grateful you were. Go do those things again. And I think for you and for me, Jim, as we want to keep our passion for the Lord um, at a fever pitch, we, we have to remember to be grateful. We have to remember who he is and who we are. John says we love him because he first loved us. We need to be grateful for that. He loved me when I was unlovable. If I forget that or if I let troubles or trials or difficult circumstances turn my heart from that, Jim, well, then I'm in the same danger. And so he could say, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And then he could say, renew within me a right spirit. And, and clearly the indication there is that that right spirit was missing when he was lusting after Bathsheba as he saw her bathing on the rooftop. He didn't have to kill Uzziah. I mean, yeah, Uriah the Hittite, not Uzziah. Um, but he was only thinking about him. His spirit was wrong. So we just need to protect our hearts and our minds it's one of the reasons the New Testament is so instructive. Colossians chapter 3, set your hearts and your minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. If we're letting the troubles that we're going through, if we're letting the trials, the storms of life, if we're letting those things um, move our eyes or our hearts or our minds off of Jesus Christ, then we too are in danger of falling into the trap of Satan. Very, very important. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate the question. And Jim, you keep asking yourself those questions. I don't want to lose my love. That's the way to, to, to maintain your passion for Jesus Christ. Uh, Mark from Austin says this. Um, if, let me see, if, I, I couldn't read it. If angels take believers to heaven, do demons take unbelievers to hell. No, God would not use uh, demons to do that. We have no indication scripturally, um, Mark, that that's the case. Um, an angel, we're told twice in the New Testament, escorts us into the presence of the Lord. Uh, and and uh, that's uh, an honor and a privilege. Uh, but um, no, I think uh, our, our, our bodies, our souls are cast into hell um, and that's done at the hand of God. He hates it. It breaks his heart, but but he does it. So, yeah, demons, um, 
they're only God's servants in the sense that he has them on a leash. He limits what they can do. Um, but, um, you know, when you, you see pictures of hell, uh, Dante's Inferno, Luke chapter 16, um, you know, hell is not a united kingdom. Um, in hell, everybody hates everybody. In hell, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, uh, so, so demons don't have a position of authority. You know, uh, Mark, I once did a funeral where uh, a boy was killed. He was a hell's angel and a, a kid that grew up in our house um, before, long before I was saved. And his, his dad asked me to do the funeral when he was killed. He was killed in a, in a drive-by shooting. Uh, and uh, I, I did a Hell's Angel funeral. And uh, with all the Hell's Angels out there, they had his casket draped in the flames of hell. And um, person after person got up and said, um, you know, his name was Daryl. We called him Little Daryl. Little Daryl's uh, in hell. He's got the party started. Daryl, we're coming. There's no party in hell. There's only darkness. There's only loneliness. Uh, and... Uh, that was one of the most challenging funerals of my life because I had to tell everybody, shame on you. Shame on you. Thanks, Mark. Hope that answers your question. See if I got time for one more question today's program. Um, this is anonymous. I know that Christians and Jews worship the same God. Why then is it necessary for Jews to believe in Jesus? Because Jesus is God, and that's where they're falling short. Um, they they worship the God of Abraham, but remember again, First John says, if you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. If you have the Father, you have the Son. If you don't have the Son, you do not have the Father. So it's very important. Jesus said to a an entirely Jewish audience, "I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me." And they have to worship Jesus because Jesus is the only answer for sin. You know, Anonymous, when you look at Jews today, um, their Old Testament says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Um, There's no temple sacrifices now. So their sins remain uncovered. Obviously, that's by God's design. Jesus is the sacrifice once for all delivered for the saints. But you see, Jews' sins can only be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and you can't go to heaven with your sin uncovered. It's that simple. So, um, yes, they have the same Father, but they don't have the Son. And if you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. They also don't have the Holy Spirit because Jesus is the one through whom the Holy Spirit comes. So all of that's important. And this uh, pernicious teaching out there, Anonymous, that Jews, because they live under a different covenant um, don't need to be born again. They don't need Jesus to get to heaven. Uh, that is heretical. It is blasphemous. And I use the word pernicious uh, correctly. Um, anything that would keep somebody from the information they need to go to heaven is evil, straight from the pit of hell. Hey, thank you for tuning in. I appreciate more than you know that you take time out of your day. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. 
The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.